0: I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball! Okay. It's a great day for a ball game. And uh, you know, it really is actually the spring training is just around the corner. So i um, looking forward to that. Pitchers, catchers showing up here in a week or two. And I'm Randy Rohde and you've got running the bases with small businesses. So glad to have you along today. Today, I'm kind of excited because we've got a guest in a niche that we have never had before, which I think is uh, always fun to go and explore some new kinds of things. And this guy, I'd tell you, you're either the most optimistic and forward-thinking individual, or you're just playing crazy. I don't know. So we'll figure this one out. But l- let me give you a quick little bio intro. He's got a degree in molecular biology. And I'm sure you were a hit with the ladies in college. Yeah, it's a real chick magnet. Yeah, yeah, that that one is really good. Uh, You've got a doctorate in optometry, another chick magnet. Oh, totally. Yeah. However, it must have worked for you because you're married, you've got four kids, and you just opened a new business here in Northeast Ohio, in Twinsburg, in the middle of a pandemic, which is incredible, and we want to dive into that. I'm really excited to have uh, with us today Dr. Ryan McGinnis of Infinity Eye Care here in uh, Twinsburg. So welcome, Dr. Ryan.
1: Thank you, Randy. A pleasure to be here in the spacious
0: studios here. Well, glad to have you on board here. Hey, so before we get started in learning about your practice and what you guys do at Infinity Eye Care... I understand that while you were in high school, we're going to tip back a few years that you were involved in a interesting prank, we'll say. Tell us about that and I want to know how you got away with it.
1: Yeah, well we'll give you the abridged version, but uh <laughs> My wife and I, and this is how, uh, with a molecular biology degree and an optometry degree, you can still get married. And that's uh, she knew me way before all oh, that. Okay. So from back uh, in high school, but okay. yeah, we uh, we grew up in Western Pennsylvania, uh, where there was more deer than people, and so in the <laughs> middle of the woods there. And so come time for senior pranks and wanted to be creative, yet not destructive towards anything. So myself and another gentleman who is now currently on staff as an MD, PhD at Duke University in North Carolina. So uh, the two of us got together and uh, we literally submitted an ad to the local paper listing the high school for sale, but not by name. Just with the address, with the address, and, and made up a total, you know, farcical, you know, uh, <laughs> air-conditioned computer labs, plenty of gymnasium space available. <laughs> we listed the guy who, uh, or the guy that we listed as submitting the ad was the principal. Uh-huh. Uh, we we gave the phone number of the with the extension for one of the local teachers at the school is who right. you contact. It, it went well. It really did. We got way more interest than you ever would dream <laughs> of from from this type of thing. And so, and they
0: actually printed that. They actually they printed it in?
1: without payment. Because, <laughs> because we put that we had to bill somebody and the bill showed up in the principal's mailbox a week later. Oh, that and, is funny. And so uh, local small town papers, apparently the goodwill extended too far for them. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, long story short, it's my claim to fame forever because I don't think too many people can say they, they listed right. the high school for sale right. for oh gosh, year. Oh my gosh, that is great. That's and what we did.
0: Did it come out somehow that it was you and this other now it, doctor? Or?
1: <laughs> it, eventually, yes. Yeah, eventually it did come out. It, it took a few days for them to to ferret it out. And I I owe it all to a, this is so cliche, but literally a nosy librarian who read the classifieds, (laughs) put two and two together and then photocopied it and shoved it in every teacher's mailbox saying, look what I just found in this paper. And so that's how it kind of exploded, uh, but uh, a yeah, good it, it's a good story.
0: Yeah. That's a good story. Hopefully, my son will learn, uh, you know, something like that. That would be good, uh, a good one to go. And now, look, now you've matured into oh, entirely this yeah. respectable <laughs> doctor of optometry. You've got quite a few accolades on your resume and things that you've done. And more specifically, and this is where I think, what I was saying in the intro, you're either the most optimistic individual and think, hey, let's go, we can make this work, or you are just plain crazy. You've opened a new local business yep. in the middle of a pandemic, Infinity Eye Care in Twinsburg. So tell us, uh, what do you do aside from the obvious of looking at people's eyes? What are your services? Just tell, tell us a little bit about Infinity Eye Care.
1: Sure. So Infinity Eye Care, you know, Passion Project's the wrong name for a business that's probably going to have to provide for four kids <laughs> and the entire family. But it was born out of a desire to, to be my own boss. Really? I had spent uh, nine and a half years at Cleveland Eye Clinic, which is a uh, well-respected, renowned uh, surgical center with with many offices around Northeast Ohio. What I was seeing amongst healthcare field in general, and this goes beyond even what we had witnessed at Cleveland Eye, is is healthcare is becoming quite fractured and Mm. private equity is playing a bigger and bigger role. We're seeing more venture capital dollars just dumped into healthcare Mm. and they're gobbling up uh, any business that's worth having in all honesty. And so when you witness that, and then, you know, after nine and a half years of commuting from 45 minutes to an hour each way, and kids are getting older, we, we had been, my wife and I had been looking at, at buying a practice, right. but dollars were, were astronomical because private equity pays top dollar for some of these practices overpays in all honesty on the hope and the premise that they can sell it again to somebody else and make even more money. And so when we looked at it all and tried to figure out where we wanted to go from there, really the, the option that was left was, let's open this ourselves. Let, let's, just, let's just do it ourselves. So we had pretty much settled on that. Uh, we had a vacation plan to Aruba, sans children. Uh, that's, <laughs> that, that was just the wife and I. But we, we said, you know, let's go on vacation. We'll come back. If we still are this solid on it, we're going right. to pull the trigger. Yeah. We got back in the country on March the 5th, and the world shut down on the 13th. Yeah. And so... We uh, delayed for about six weeks there, waiting to see which way it was going to go. Right. And then eventually, come early May, it became obvious that, A, lockdowns really didn't work as well as people had hoped, which made it less likely they would ever shut the world down again. Right. Said so it's time. We started the process in May and then opened in January with Infinity Eye Care.
0: Okay, uh, What do you do? I mean, so I... I wear glasses. And so, you know, I, obviously I go to the eye doctor, but are you just like gazing into individual's eyes all day long?
1: That sounds creepy when you put it like that. Yeah, yeah. it does.
0: It's better than, you know, being a dentist, I think. That's
1: right. Well, that's our go-to line. It's easier than going to the dentist, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, days gone by, you know, the eye exam was strictly revolving around glasses and contacts, right? That's what everybody's to a large degree, still thinks of it. But but it's so much more than that. We are looking at the entire the entirety of the eye and also how it interconnects with the rest of the body. So for example, if you're diabetic, we kind of have an idea what's happening in your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your brain, based on how we see those blood vessels looking deep within the eye. And wow. so we, we really have, and the same goes for hypertension, mm-hmm. uh, high cholesterol. So we really have a way of getting a snapshot of, of a person's systemic health just by doing a good solid ocular health exam. Hmm.
0: Now are you seeing like some leading indicators when you're doing the exam that potentially maybe that an individual might not even know that they're sometimes hypertension or
1: Yeah, sometimes. Now, I mean, the majority are sent to us. They get diagnosed with being diabetic. The primary care doc says, hey, go get your eyes checked. Right. right. But uh, I get about a half dozen a year where I've either diagnosed them with multiple sclerosis or Mm. hypertension or whatnot, and they had no clue. Yeah. Uh, except for what we found on eye exams.
0: That is fascinating. So it really gives a whole new term of, you know, the eyes or the windows of the soul or something like that. It right. really is, you know, much, much more.
1: Right. No, yeah. absolutely. And, and, you know, the eye is really an extension of the brain, if you think about it, yeah. because that nerve that connects your eye to your brain, it's a short trip. And so what we're seeing is, is uh, very much so a snapshot of what's going on in the rest of the body.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's a short trip. <laughs> it's some, yeah. So I'm kind of fascinated on so much. I'm fascinated about your industry and what you do, actually, the science and the, the medical field of, uh, and as you've explained it, what you can see through an eye exam. But as well, you mentioned something that doesn't, I, I don't want to say, it doesn't always kind of stick with me, I think, um, when I think about doctors. And you said... Early on, you've always wanted to own your own business or to have your own business. Not necessarily, and maybe you probably have always wanted to be a doctor. I don't know. But I don't usually talk with a lot of doctors. I know a handful of doctors that say like, oh yeah, I've always wanted to, not I've always wanted to be a business owner. I'm like, oh, I think you're Maybe one of the first few doctors I've yeah. ever talked with, and said I wanted to be a business owner. So, have has that entrepreneur spirit always kind of been part of you? Did you sell lemonade as a kid? I mean, did you, aside from selling the high school,
1: right? You yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> Not entirely. I mean, and and you know, I wouldn't put sales is one of my top strengths, competence and friendliness. And, and, you know, I I tend to be very conversational. But I I think what always appealed to me about being a business owner was just the chance to kind of forge your own path. And my sister's an, an internal med doc, also does some ICU work up near Boston. And when I told her what I was going to be doing, she's also so encouraging when she says she goes, oh, that's a death knell in my field. She goes. No one owns their own practice. We all we all work for hospitals. As she goes, you just don't get paid enough by insurance, and, and the overheads right. so crushing that that hospitals have to be the driver of this. But it's not yet that way with optometry, and optometrists tend to have a little bit of an independent streak in them. They they want to work when they want to work. They want to work how they they best envision them doing their jobs. And so when I first came out of school, the idea of owning a business was overwhelming to me. For one, the debts crushing. Uh, student loan debt and we were we were having children way more rapidly than we had anticipated and that's a, that's that's for the biology podcast later but but yeah nevertheless I, I don't think I could have done it at age 26 27 right, coming right. out of residency but you sort of grow into it I mean and, and after working behind the scenes even at the practice I was at and doing a lot of the nitty-gritty you start to figure it out And you're like if we do this right and if we have the system set up correctly we we can do this have a very comfortable living without having to kill ourselves at the job and, and, and not hate it. And that, that's kind of what it was born out of. Certainly, we, we haven't figured it all out, out yet. We're, we're still getting there. But thus far, you know, five, six weeks in, I, I've been encouraged with how well it's flowed.
0: Good, good. Well, I love, I love that quote that you stated, uh, forge your own path. I think that really kind of sums up in a nice way, nice, neat box the spirit of an entrepreneur, it, right? right? They, they really are an adventurer, want to forge that path.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's there's high risk, high reward. Right, but I mean, right. as they always say, fortune favors the bold. And, and, and so to some degree, I don't know that pandemic was part of the plan, yeah. but there's actually some perks to it, believe it or not. And we can get into some of that. A lot of healthcare, and, and people ask me all the time, would you tell your kids to go into healthcare? And my answer is the same. If you love it and if you love people, certainly. But if you think you're going to back the Brinks truck up, and retire at age forty-five. <laughs> the answer is no, because I mean, no matter what healthcare field you're in right now, except a select few, you're largely taking marching orders from somebody, whether it be insurance companies right. or hospital administrators or somebody. And and so, you know, when I tell my kids to do, healthcare, well, for the right reasons, sure. But you know, that doesn't mean that you have to you know live a destitute lifestyle and and you didn't go to school till you're thirty to then not have some of the nicer things right, right. And, and this is a way you can still do it. And, and the way you do it is by taking those chances and sort of being the one to drive the ship and not just be a passenger.
0: Well, one of the other things that you mentioned that I, I hadn't thought about this, the pursuit of private equity mm-hmm. in the medical fields. Huge and I knew, right and I knew that from uh, on the medical side like a a GP, Mm -hmm. those private practices are going away, but they, for my impression, are getting gobbled up by the hospital systems. yes. And that just seems to be where they go. I've had several friends. That's the route that occurred with them versus I am curious about the private equity because Mm -hmm. that actually is like, really? So do they purchase and then pool and then potentially sell off to a hospital system or...
1: Well, and, and that's always the question. I'm not an expert on private equity outside of what I live through and, and what I've seen happen in the field. It's, it's big in certain areas. Dermatology is big. Dentistry is, we're seeing it. And then in ophthalmology, optometry is a little less, but ophthalmology has got a big private equity push right now. In the grand scheme of things, the thought with private equity is you get these venture capital firms who are very well funded billions of dollars uh, in these mm-hmm. firms. They will make a subsidiary that runs the eye care part of it. And they will go out and gobble up 70, 80 practices, oftentimes paying dollar for dollar what you brought in as a practice.
0: And that geographically... They try and do it geographically. Centralized? Yeah, I mean,
1: like, for example, the one I'm familiar with, I mean, they... They're they're focused in Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, okay. Pennsylvania. So right. they they, yeah. they try and get you know geographics. Mm-hmm. It just makes it easier. Right. It's apples to apples. But at the end of the day, usually within five to seven years, the thought is they've now accumulated all these assets. They have tried to streamline some of the things such as HR and sure, benefits sure. Some and some of the
0: operational eliminate yeah.
1: inefficiencies is, is yeah. the is the buzzword. And then they sell it to a bigger fish yeah the the idea being that they'll make this lump sum investment and then hopefully five years from now recoup a two for one uh, on their dollars huh. and whether yeah. or not it's successful, it really depends on what the market's like, and it also depends on who's out there looking to buy because at the end of the day, someone has to be left holding the bag there's only so many bigger fish,
0: yeah, exactly, and that's why I'm fascinated from this from a uh, a private equity group because you start out small, but it's so specialized that it's right. like well, you're going to build this kind of massive conglomerate of these practices. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, because this is what. PE, you know, this is what they're trying to do is that they're, you know, they they pull, drive efficiencies, drive up the revenue potential and the profit potential and then sell it at right. a multiple. And I'm like, well, who's going to buy that then at the end of the day from them? Mm-hmm. So a, a bigger private equity group that's, I don't know. Yep.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the great unknown. The question's going to be, is it sustainable? If it is for how long? Right. Or is it a bubble? Yeah. And and are some of these guys going to be left holding the bag and, <laughs> what happens at that point. And those are questions. I certainly, I'm not an expert in it, so I I don't have all the answers to it, but, uh, you know, in five to 10 years, I think we'll have an answer. <laughs> yeah, well, that
0: that's that's very interesting. So one of the other things you mentioned, your sister is in medical practice as well. Mm-hmm. And so, as, I mean, is this, do you have, are your parents uh, doctors? So or?
1: No, I mean, they're not. Dad's an engineer and mom stayed at home with us and then became a school aide oh, okay. after we had, uh, you know, been old enough to, you know, not burn the house down when she was gone. And so uh, I'm the oldest and as you know, an eye doctor, my sister's the middle one and she's a hospitalist. And my brother is the youngest is a tax attorney over here near Cleveland. <laughs> so the running joke is that, uh, mom and dad, whatever they did, they did it right. And we'll put them in the nice home with the elevator later yeah, on in life. Very or nice. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, they they laugh about it because like this this wasn't some master plan this wasn't like we went to work with mom and dad and said oh what a great career field yeah uh, this this is just the the path we took
0: how exciting though yeah your parents are so
1: proud no oh, they are yes <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll repost this podcast I'm sure
0: <laughs> uh, that is great so here you are in the midst of this pandemic you kind of told the little story a little bit and you just opened up. The shop in January of this year. How I many of your friends, your family saying, Dr. Ryan, what are you doing? You are crazy right now, right? I mean, it's not like you were selling pencils on the corner. I mean, right. you had a very nice job with the Cleveland Clinic. You yeah. were, you know, Wasn't very secure, yeah, man. right?
1: And yeah, what were the heck, you right? you crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, and my, I, I've learned that, that family's much more blunt with you than friends often sure are. So. are. <laughs> yeah, that's just the way it goes. Uh, so, Are we crazy? Probably a little bit. Who isn't? You know, who does this entrepreneur stuff? You have to have a little bit of craziness to you. We don't do it by ourselves either. We've worked with a consulting team out of Chicago called iCare Advisors. They specialize in doing what they call cold start practices. So you didn't buy anything. You just hung a shingle and and got you off the ground. So they've been a wonderful resource and and they have certainly saved us oodles and oodles of cash uh, Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. the course of this process. And there's other groups that you kind of get into to to help you through it. The downside, of course, is it's a pandemic. Right. And, and that adds a whole layer of stress. One of my rooms in my office, I have retrofitted to become the kid space because our kids are hanging out at the office some days right. uh, that thankfully they've been in school five days a week since the beginning and we're beyond thrilled. Okay. But still at three o'clock, kids are coming home from school right. and like tonight we're in the office till seven. And so we've had to adjust our lives and so and in the middle of a pandemic you can't send them somewhere. Right. Know, yeah. Exactly. Kind of a tough thing. Yeah. The benefit of it being a pandemic, believe it or not, is kind of threefold. One, the rates from the banks were better because interest sure. rates had fallen sure. a little bit. Commercial's different than residential, but right. had fallen a bit. Secondly, we got pretty good deals on equipment because not that many people were buying equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And then third which I hadn't even thought of when I opened it, although I'll take credit for it because it makes me sound intelligent. You have lots of openings when you are starting cold. You don't have a bunch of patients. Well, that's what people want right now. They don't want to be jammed in there with 10 other people. Yeah, And they kind of want to be able to go on your website and say, oh, I need an appointment tomorrow. And you have availability. It's actually been a wonderful thing. We've gotten excellent feedback because they feel so comfortable. I mean, right. and so they they can wander in and, and we take care of them and they're out the door and, uh, they they may not have seen another human outside of the people yeah. in the office. So, yeah. unintended consequences, but we've gotten excellent feedback from those who are a little more skittish uh, at this time.
0: Yeah. See, you are an optimist. So, you turn the whole pandemic and you're like, "Listen, there's some benefits to this." The, and yes, well, I love I love your spirit.
1: It's either that or you need counseling. So, we're going to yeah, go we're yeah. going to I've been trying wow. to talk myself through this now for well, months. <laughs> I, you know, through
0: my experience and through talking with so many entrepreneurs out here is having that Level of confidence and a level of optimism, and that we, we will push on. I mean, it's absolutely as necessary, I think, to really. Kind of forge that path to use your words and really attain success.
1: It, it is, and you know when you're forging the path, it sounds it sounds pretty nice and and, and uh, adventurous and a right. little sexy. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, you're the one driving the bulldozer, you're laying the asphalt, <laughs> right. you're, you're making you're literally making the path. So uh, as I tell folks, you know those those first few uh, weeks to months can be a real strain. You're the one doing everything when you own a small business. Yeah. We, we were laughing the other day. Like my to-do list included changing the toilet paper roll and hanging up coat <laughs> hooks in the office. Like there's
0: no one else doing it. So, they, did they teach you that in uh, in med school? I, I have
1: learned so many things <laughs> that I never dreamed I would need to know. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, by and large, I mean the key is having good, solid help you can trust. And yeah. and both at the office and with the consultants, we, we have and we do. And then just, just trying to take a deep breath and just rolling with things, especially yeah. right now, because there's been curveballs thrown and there sure. will be some more.
0: Yeah. Hey, thanks for throwing that baseball. Uh, I'm doing uh, what uh, I can to think. help you out there. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> you know, I love the idea as well that you didn't just kind of say, hey, we're going to do this and kind of isolated and went out and hung your shingle and just waited. You really sought some outside resources to really help with the process.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you can do it just yourself, but why not take advantage of just the cumulative wealth of knowledge that people have, have are willing to share with you. Yeah. Even people who are unaffiliated when they find out what you've done, other doctors, they're like, Hey, Hey, come meet me for coffee, give me a call sometime. I'd love to tell you the five things I wish I had never done. <laughs> right, And you know, some of that you take with a grain of salt. It may have been just to their circumstance, but people are so happy to, to offer guidance and opinions. And, and at this stage of the game, we're happy to gather them all and sort of see what works for us or, or what doesn't. But yeah, I mean, It it, it sounds good to be a lone ranger and want to do things on your own schedule, but why not make life at least a little easier for you?
0: Well, I think it's just a great lesson to give for folks who are just starting out on their business or thinking about it as well is... You know, yes, it may seem kind of—I uh, don't even—I uh, don't want to say attractive. I'm—I'm I'm not sure, but it, it's not necessarily the best route to kind of like I'm just going to do this and not kind of mm-hmm. seek the advice and/or assistance or consult from outside sources that can really help you kind of mitigate the risk. You're taking a risk to begin with, but why not just? kind of manage that risk as best as you can. And I applaud you for, you know, being, well, you're a smart guy. You're a doctor. so
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the number one quality I tell people you got to have when you do this, believe it or not, is uh, yes, confidence helps and competence is mandatory, but humility goes a long way. Understand you you don't know everything and no one does. And there's there's no shame in asking for help. And so uh, we've certainly done just that.
0: Now, you also have help with... And, and maybe I shouldn't put it that way, but you've got a built in partner with your wife is do, yes. involved in the practice with you.
1: Yes. And uh, she's not a doctor. She's been, a. Uh I mean, by and large, uh, invested in our children for, you know, the last 10 plus years, she's been working for a nonprofit that supports pre- parents of premature children because mm. our firstborn was born at 25 and a half weeks wow. of gestation. Yeah. So thankfully, you know, he's the oldest and he's still rocking and rolling and we haven't Good. had Good. any long-term effects, but I mean, she, she's been invested in that world, but she was looking for a new challenge and a change as well. I, I, Tell people that my wife is as many things, but but she's a go-getter. She's she's a bit of a pit bull when you give her tasks to do, and so she has be, taken on the marketing and the website design, and that's been probably the biggest cost savings that I could do. Is, is mm-hmm. I literally have a built-in partner right. who at night will sit there and redesign the web page and and do all kinds of stuff that, admittedly. I'm not paying for right, and 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 I could do it, but my gosh, it's just not my skill set. Sure. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it goes a long way when you got someone in the house who's as invested in your uh, in your success you, as you right, are. Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> Do you ever feel like you get away from the business? I mean, with both of you, and I'm sure she's there with you Mm -hmm. all day. You talk about the kids are coming because we're there. Do you ever feel like you get away from the business, from the practice?
1: Yeah, you you don't date a business. You marry it, don't you? Yeah. uh, But (laughs) it's the biggest challenge in a marriage that we have is leaving work at work and, and then not bringing it home with us. It's getting better. Any any
0: tips there that you can share with (laughs) the the
1: the, the biggest tips is uh, that I could give at this point is sticking to a plan and just do not deviate from it. If you look at each other and say at six o'clock, we shut it off. We're not bringing it up anymore. Hold each other accountable and don't bring it up anymore. Uh And, And the other part that comes naturally is as the business gets off the ground and it's running a little more smoothly, there's less stuff to come home. And so, but do you ever totally get away from it? No, the emails are always coming in. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. You have to actually have to actively make sure you're not talking work all the time. Yeah, But yeah, work in progress, but it is improving.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I, I, I wonder how that works sometimes. One of the founders of Netflix, I was just, I read his book. It's called That Will Never Work. And he had a practice that he put into place a long time back that, Tuesdays at five o'clock, regardless, he was leaving the office and it was date night with his wife. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, wow, well, that's a, that really is impressive. If that guy could do it, I think everybody could. But yeah, you have to y- do you guys to do, do something like that?
1: Yeah. Now, of course, pandemic notwithstanding, it right. you know, you, used, used to be a lot easier. <laughs> but yes, I mean, we try really hard that. Wednesdays are the hardest because it's our late night. So we're there till seven. So you go home, you just sort of get the kids off the bed and you crash. I mean, there's not a whole lot of time. But the rest of the week, we try really hard that six o'clock is kind of our drop dead point where we leave the office at four, four thirty, get home. I no longer have an hour drive to decompress. So I sort of, you know, decompress verbally to her now and vice versa between (laughs) five and six. When six o'clock hits, it's dinner time. It's homework time. We're done. Yeah. And so the date nights are forthcoming as, yeah. as the vaccine rolls out. And as, good, as, good. as we know, yeah. things are safer.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, be sure you carve that out. That's good, That's I think. Right. And especially in the way the way that you guys are now. So, you know, as we mentioned, you actually have spent a, a good number of years in practice with the Cleveland Clinic over 10. And you have this very interesting distinction that I really am unfamiliar with. You are a diplomate. In the section of Cornea, Contact Lenses, and Refractive Technology with the uh, American Academy of Optometry.
1: They make it sound impressive, don't I, they?
0: It really is. I mean, that's a mouthful. What is it? How did you get it? And what do you do with
1: it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the uh, to become a fellow in the academy, any optometrist can, and there's requirements, usually writing case reports or certain presentations you do. So that's how you can become a fellow in the academy. All right. For those who want to specialize further or kind of I would say broadcast that they have a specific knowledge base that is greater than the average person. Okay. They have certain sections and one of them is this cornea contact lens and refractive technology. And they have some on glaucoma, they have some on public health. So like there's different areas you can do this in. Okay. Whenever I did this program, they give you up to five years to complete it. You have to write ten case reports, which the average is well over thirty pages on these case reports. Had to pass two written exams a practical exam where you did this type of stuff on patients and the type of stuff I'm talking about is advanced contact lenses and disease management. And then you had to pass an oral exam. So it took a long time. It, it took me almost uh, three and a half, four years to get through the process. But when you're done, you get this distinction of being a diplomate in that section.
0: The diplomat.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, do I get paid more because of it? No, I do not. No. <laughs> did,
0: did you get so, at least a nice, fancy certificate? I got a nice certificate okay. framed on the wall. Yeah. I got, right. I got go
1: fancy pins when I go to the meetings. But, right. you know, at the end of the day, it, it's just a way to differentiate yourself okay. and, and to sort of say – I mean, the total number of diplomates in this section worldwide numbers in, like, the 200s. Really? So, like, Well, congratulations. So you're, you're, you're one you. of a select group yeah. that says, you know, I'm good enough and I cared enough to go through the process.
0: So are you, like, one in Ohio? I mean, is there So we have – Ohio,
1: believe it or not, has more than you'd think because the Ohio State College of Optometry – where there's okay. schools, there tend to be pushed this type of stuff. So I think I'm one of seven or eight in Ohio.
0: In your particular section, yeah, in that section. No yeah. kidding. Well, yeah. I guess we're fortunate to have you right That's here. That's right, now. in
1: Little Twinsburg. you know?
0: Yes, here we are. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations. Did you get a little bump in pay with the clinic when you were doing that?
1: No, heck, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Got a pat in the back and said that a boy.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Well, so Dr. Ryan, it's that time of the show, and it's time for the seventh inning stretch. Okay. Do you like baseball? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. Well, uh, so you grew up outside of Pittsburgh, so I'm assuming a Pirates fan. Yeah,
1: from from birth it was the Pirates. Uh, But as we were talking before the show, there we used to pick up the AM stations from Cleveland back when the Pirates were so bad you couldn't bear to listen to them. So uh, when Cleveland was good in the mid '90s and and whatnot, uh, got a little ALNL. Action going on. Okay.
0: There, so. All right. Well, that's good. All right. So at this point in the show, we, we, my team goes out. They know, like, oh, you got Dr. Ryan in, and they try to find a nice question in your area of of expertise. All right. As it relates to baseball. So I want to ask you, and this is hopefully kind of get there. We're going to talk about home plate umpires. Okay. All right. And so these are the guys, right? They got the best seat in baseball. I mean, they're right there making critical calls. Got to have good eyes. That's right. Kind of tying it in there. Home plate umpires. How often do you think that they are making incorrect calls? on balls and strikes you know, Perce- as a percentage of overall calls.
1: So I want to say I heard about this because now as they've gone to more of the <laughs> K zone and you see some of yeah. this on TV, I mean, my goodness, I, I look for sidebar and, and, and in right. 10 years for right. balls and strikes to be totally automated and, and, and them not to even have to call it. But I'd venture to guess that probably – I'd say 20% of the time.
0: They're oh, my gosh. You are right on the nose. Every once in a while, Man, I get it. <laughs> Dr. Ryan with a swing and a hit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. 20% of the time. This is based on numbers from the 2018 season. But yeah, they, on average, make 14 incorrect calls per game. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Now this actually I want to tie in because um, on your expertise and opinion on this. So you would think that the more years or more years of experience that you have sitting behind the plate that you actually would get better at at calling uh, the balls and strikes. But in fact, what they found going over actually like 10 years of time is that the older that they are, mm-hmm. the actually more the the percentage of incorrect calls increases. Oh. Yeah. So if you are the best callers, we'll, we'll state are those that have three years or less of experience and that are like 33 years uh, old on average versus guys that are 46 and above and have 13, 15 years of experience. So do you think that it it is an age related uh, degeneration of eyes? Do you think there's a medical connection there?
1: There might be. I mean, it certainly plays a role. I mean, as we age, things slow down, Um, things break, you know, it's just the way it goes. I think there's a couple different reasons behind it. One, I think we get, all get this way when we've done a job a long time. You get into bad habits. Yeah, You can only imagine the wear and tear on these guys' knees from kneeling down there hundreds of times a game over the course of years and years. Do they tilt to one side because they got a bad left knee and it throws them a couple inches right. off the corners? Certainly possible. They get into bad habits. I mean – if if you watch some of these games, I mean some of the older ones are the ones that'll throw you out for sneezing the wrong direction right. because they, they <laughs> it's their show. And so I think that there's some behavioral stuff in there as well. But certainly, you know, I mean, medically speaking Someone's eyesight at sixty three is not going to be as good as someone at thirty three.
0: Yeah, it, it, it yeah, just isn't. Yeah. So. All right. Well, there we go. We we've got the uh, the lowdown from Doctor Ryan. All right. Thank you, Doctor Ryan. On that, you did you played very well. Oh, well, thank you. By the you. way, yes, the seventh you. inning was great with you and your <laughs> insights. All right. Well, let's get back into it. Play ball. so. As a new business, what type of marketing activities are you guys doing to try to get the word out, to really build the practice?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a three-pronged approach, and one of the prongs has been broken off because usually you go stop in, see doctors, drop off goodie boxes, stuff like that. Go visit the senior centers and the nursing homes yeah. and that type. And, You're
0: and not doing that.
1: Can't do it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They won't let you in the front door of a lot of these places. And, and frankly, nor should they, I mean, with, with what's going on. So we've had to rely heavily on social media. Social media mm-hmm. has been, been a real big push. Facebook, Google, Instagram, you know, all, all the normal stuff. And my wife handles that thankfully because I am not a marketing whiz, mm-hmm. I, Maybe it's just the way we were raised, but I, I just get uncomfortable telling people I'm good at stuff <laughs> where my wife has less of an issue. <laughs> so so it, it's, it's a good thing to have somebody outside of the doctor doing that right. type of marketing most of the time. And then the other thing which we've largely relied on is as you get on what we call insurance panels, which means you can see someone with a specific insurance, you are listed then on the find a provider on their websites. That's where a lot of patients start. They go to their insurance provider's website. They say, I need an eye exam. They punch in their zip code and it spits out the five providers that are the closest to them. And so there's no favoritism there. It's just based on who's closest. You know, I would say 90 plus percent of our patients are coming from about a five mile radius around the practice mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's largely born out of convenience sure yeah uh, and so that's kind of how the marketing has gone so far I almost wonder if this had been a you know a non-pandemic normal experience whether it would have been skewed with us being able to do more in-person marketing right. would it have been better or worse waste of money or right. money well spent I don't know you haven't lived it
0: So that is very interesting because that's kind of actually kind of leads into the next uh, question that I was going to ask in regards to that. So you you really do have an interesting uh, almost experiment that's happening right now, which is... Some of the things that I would think as well that would probably play well for you, which is just getting out, going knocking on doors, visiting various establishments, getting involved with networking groups and those kinds of things. I I would think that would play well as, as a new doctor in opening a practice. You haven't been able to do that. And thinking about your practice and where you are today, not even eight weeks yet, you're what, five, six weeks into it. Are you where you thought you would be or are you from that standpoint? And I'm not sure how you're measuring that, but, and of course you knew, you know, as you open the doors, you're in the midst of pandemic. So you knew you wouldn't be able to do those things, but I'm kind of curious if you have any indication like, Hey, six weeks into a practice where we are today versus practices similar to us that opened and maybe the consulting group that's talked with you like, Hey, you're right on target, even outside of a pandemic.
1: Yeah. I mean, and so Money wise, which is when Robert meets the road, what's the cash flow look like to be determined on number of bodies through the door and patients seen were actually double what we thought we'd be. Great. And so for whatever reason, it's working. Whatever we're doing seems to be working, or whatever we're not doing, it seems to have not hurt the number of patients that have come through the door. And so I think that a lot of us will have to admit when all this settles that a lot of the things we did on a marketing side and and sort of an advert advertising. We did it because it's the way it's always been done. And I know no one usually does radio and advertising the yellow pages anymore. A lot of the stuff that we've done well is because 10 years ago it worked and nothing's broken. So why fix it? I think we may look back after this pandemic and be like, we couldn't go visit these people face to face. But yet it didn't hurt the numbers. Right. Why is that? Is that because some of us just aren't very good at it? Or is it really because people don't value that like they used to? Right. And maybe patients are just more beholden to their insurance and they don't care who you are.
0: Well, and some of it, as a digital marketer myself, I would say, I I think as well, human behavior is changing so that they're doing a lot more online activities and looking at stuff. So kind of that forced isolation as well as has forced them to go online and look for information or tie into social media even more than what they've done before. So as you're getting deeper into those kinds of paths from a marketing standpoint, your constituents, your potential clients are kind of doing the same thing even. So it really is hard. And I think it is interesting. And I completely agree with you. I think coming out of the pandemic, people are going to kind of examine what they've done, how they've had to make adjustments. And is it okay? Or do we go back to practices and activities that we did prior to the pandemic? Or to your point, hey, we're making a rationalization. They're just, we don't need to do that.
1: Right now. Well, I think one of the things we're going to see with the travel industry in general is all those business travelers that would crisscross the country three times a week. Do you need to at this point? And I still think at some level, the answer is yes, but at that volume. Right. And, and, and that's going to have a tremendous trip, trickle down effect on hotels and airlines yeah. and uh, bottom line. We're looking at it in real estate, too. Whenever we had to find space for our office, it, it took several months to find space. And a lot of it's because landlords don't know what to expect in regards to what's coming, because I think a lot of these firms are going to look to have a smaller footprint, have less office space because they will rotate people through the office for a while. Maybe you go into the office two days a week and you work from home the rest of the week. Right. And you just don't need 3,000 square feet of cubicles anymore. You could do with half that. Right. And that's a real possibility. Well,
0: I think you're absolutely right with that because I know already like Google has announced that they are not going to have a full time back on campus until September Mm -hmm. at this point is what they're announcing September of this year. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have to revisit things, too. I mean, is the old model of a medical office the best model moving forward? Do you need someone answering phones at the desk now? Mm. Or is that something where with these real high-tech internet phones, we can roll them to anyone's cell phone or roll them to any phone? So do, do we just have someone sitting... At a home office, answering the phones and and handling the schedule and and take one body out of of the space. I mean, these are all things we're all going to have to wrestle with as we move forward.
0: So that's kind of interesting. So I know with our medical insurance and our providers... They provide a online live right, virtual mm-hmm. experience of if we have something or a question, whatever we could call or get online, have a v- virtual consultation. Do you think that that could be a potential in your industry?
1: I care is tough because you just don't at this point have yeah, a good yeah. way of looking. Into the eye. Now, Now I will say Medicare and what Medicare does, most private insurers follow shortly after, ha- has reduced the regulations around virtual care greatly mm-hmm, since the mm-hmm. pandemic started. So there was a time when we were all sitting at home wondering when we were going to be able to go back to work where the only patient care I was providing was over FaceTime. Right. And I got this red mark on my eye. What is it? I've got this lump on my eyelid. Is it as good? No. Right. But the real value in it is – you know, an elderly individual who may not have a ride or may not want to come out in the weather or just because of health concerns does not want to come out yet till at least they're vaccinated. We now have ways, and it's, it's sanctioned by the insurance industry at this point, of examining people uh, virtually. Mm-hmm. And so is it perfect in my world? No. But if I was a dermatologist – and you're just looking at skin lesions all day long, and at least you can get something started, my gosh, it would be a huge part of my business moving forward.
0: So starting the new business, aside from the pandemic, what are some of the other challenges maybe that you've faced and what have, how have you attacked them, I guess?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest challenges with trying to get a new business off the ground, you just feel like you have to wrestle it to the ground every single day. There, There's just so many nuances to it. And you'd like to believe that you could see patients five days a week and kind of run the business on the side. But what I have found, it's almost the opposite. You're running the business five days a week. And oh, by the way, I have patients the next three hours <laughs> and, and, because someone has to pay the bills and someone right. has to go over invoices and, and look and make sure you charged correctly. And there's just not enough hours in a day at this stage of the game. Hmm. Now, as the staff gets more comfortable and as and as I get more comfortable delegating some of that stuff, it, it will become easier. But that's probably challenge number one is time management and just trying to make mm-hmm. sure that, that you keep things on track day by day. And then the other part, which we had talked about earlier, is just leave it at work and don't bring it home with you because this is shocking. But the four-year-old doesn't care whether I had a good day or a bad day at the office. She, she <laughs> a lovely girl, but she just doesn't care. I mean, when dad's home, she expects dad to be home, and it's going to be a work in progress for, for months and years. But the, the biggest thing we have to do is try and compartmentalize and no matter how good or bad your day was you're when you're home you're dad first you're still dad that's yes.
0: right yeah, yeah, doesn't yes and dad first then then they're like oh yeah you do other stuff i guess right that's uh, what's the uh, age of your kids
1: so 10 and a half, 9 Nearly seven. He'll be seven next month and then four. You have your hands full. Hands are full. Uh, Heather, my wife, handles a lot more than I do. But yeah, yeah. It's, but yeah it's, the hands are full. But in all honesty, having the office has been a good thing as a family. We spend more time together yeah. now. They've begun to do jobs around the office. I mean- if it was someone else's kid i break child labor laws but it's my kid it's sure so you know they, they do the shredding they'll vacuum the room that's they'll right. do you know, stuff like sweep that stuff, sweep stuff, wife up. stuff up. Yeah, yeah you know simple tasks and uh, the, the 9 year old back there doing dishes the other day i'm like she won't touch them at home but you know in the office all of a sudden it's it's, it's a fun thing to do Good so, for you i yeah. love
0: that that's great a year from now hopefully we're outside of the pandemic. Fingers you know, crossed, you know, my man. <laughs> you know, not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but hopefully, we're out of there. Where do you see the business? What are the goals that you got?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're hoping for sustained continued growth. I actually don't want it to be a real steep growth curve at this point because we're not staffed to handle twenty five patients in a day. There there needs to be kind of a slow and steady increase so that you can get get people on board at the right time and, and that, that way you don't have cash flow issues either. You don't want to have the roller coaster effect of these really high months and then these months that right. bottom out right. because that's a real struggle then. So we're hoping for uh, continued steady growth. We, we are hoping to be more embedded in the community, hopefully continue to branch out amongst with word of mouth referrals. Right. And then ideally, kind of the, the master plan is sometime within the next two to three years to bring on another doctor and kind of have multiple doctors there. That'll allow me to run the practice without having to take time away from patient care. Good, good. And so that, and, that's, that's the master plan at this and, point.
0: And ultimately set yourself up for private equity. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll see what's happening by that point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So here we are. We're at the bottom of the ninth, and this is a point here where, you know, we're coming to the end of it here. What advice do you have for rookies in the game? Uh, Dr. Ryan, those starting out in business, similar to you, right? Thinking about, is it a good time to start a, a business during a pandemic? But what advice do you have for those folks that you could share?
1: First off, do your research. Don't go into these things blindly. Make sure that you have examined it from every angle. If you have family at home, make sure they're on board with it because whether you like to think it's the way it is or not, they are going to be as invested in this as you are because the hours can be long and the days can be longer. The other thing, as we had mentioned earlier, is make sure you reach out to folks, sort of coordinate with folks who have been there and done that. Pick the brains of of some of the folks that that have gone down this journey ahead of you and and sort of glean some of the pearls that, that, that they deem to be or things that they wish they had known Uh, before, before they went down this path. Uh, And then the other thing is that, well, they say kind of burn the boat, jump in with both feet. You can't halfway this stuff. And I don't care if you're opening up a taco stand out here or, or whether you're, you're in the medical field, if you're going to do it, you got to really do it. Right. And, and that can be scary, but I'm an analytical guy. I had researched the heck out of it. I had examined it every which way. And so when, when it looked like we could do it, we jumped in with both feet and uh, we haven't looked back.
0: I love that. Burn the boat, you know, be committed. Yeah. Right? Yes, yeah, there's absolutely. Yes. Good. Well, listen, I have enjoyed so much. I've learned so much about your business, your practice. I never uh, really thought all that much. I've been going to my eye doctor for years and like, Oh, (laughs) now I know a little bit more. That's right. So thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it.
1: It was my pleasure. And I look forward to the return visit down the road when we can talk about all the things we screwed up and what we wish we could do for the next year. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. All right. So that's a ball game. Hey, thanks for joining us today. And if you liked our show, please tell your friends, subscribe and review. And as we like to say, we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.